Hello and welcome to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. I'm a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, a husband, a father, a grandfather. I'm a small business owner. I'm a Catholic. I'm a lot of things. But right now, today, I'm your host on All Things Women's Health. On this show, we discuss, you know, all things women's health, and always from an authentically Christian Catholic perspective. From childbirth to infertility, from pregnancy loss to menopause, or homeschooling to personal trainers, if it involves women and their health, it's on our agenda. And joining me today is a guest that regular listeners will immediately recognize, pastoral counselor Amber Todd. Amber's joined me for several episodes, providing her unique insight as a counselor of many years, as a wife, as a mother, as a great friend. And today we're talking about birth experiences. That is, does your birth experience actually matter? I mean, isn't it just like any other medical experience? If not, what makes birth different? How do you achieve the birth experience you desire? How do you even figure out the birth experience that you desire? What are the common elements to great birth experiences? Conversely, what are the common elements to women and their spouses who describe experiences that were really less than optimal, maybe even traumatic? What are some of the practical steps that you can determine to figure out what the experience is that you desire and then achieve that experience? Well, we'll take on these and a lot of other topics when we come back with all things women's health. Welcome back to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud, and my guest today, pastoral counselor, Amber Todd. Well, Amber Todd, welcome back to All Things Women's Health. Thank you, Dr. Stroud. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you back. You know, um, today's episode is it's about birth matters, you might say, a little play on word. Um, if, if Hallie Greider of the company Birth Matters is listening, but we're talking about really why does birth matter? And more specifically, why does your birth experience matter? And I know you talk to a lot of patients after the fact, probably, who maybe have had somewhat of a traumatic traumatic birth experience. I do as well. We also get to hear about good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe the best way for us to start is to try to answer the question, does your birth experience re- really matter? Does it actually matter what kind of experience it is? Yes, I think that's a great question. And I would say, yes, it matters. (laughs) (laughs) And it matters immensely because if you think about how much time women or couples typically spend thinking, dreaming of pregnancy, the amount of time you spend preparing throughout pregnancy leading up to birth, there's a lot to anticipate in that process, which means that there's a lot of expectations, there's a lot of hopes, and also there's a lot of fears. And so I think the birth experience, no matter what it is, impacts us Mm. on multiple levels, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And when you have such a significant life event that leaves such a lasting impression, we have to recognize the importance of valuing that um, preparation and also the debriefing of that event. And that's why it matters, because it is 
a life moment that you'll remember forever? So I've had physician colleagues through the years, uh, and I'll just repeat their words. I don't agree with them, <laughs> but I'll just repeat their words. They'll say, you know, having, um, having your gallbladder out is serious, and that's a big life event. Uh, but people don't come to the hospital to have their gallbladder out with specific ideas about how they want that surgery mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. You, you could play the game with that analogy pretty mm-hmm. easily. So they would say, what's different about birth? It's just another medical event. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, it, not shocking, you and I would not agree with that statement, but, right. but let's catalog for listeners why that's wrong. What's different about birth as opposed to some other medical milestone event? Yeah. I think birth, well, first of all, my four births are four of my favorite life experiences ever. <laughs> um, four of the moments that I'm most proud of myself and Nate and our family. And I think also four moments where I feel like I was completely transformed and changed as a person because of it. Mm. So. I can't compare that really to anything else I've experienced. And I've had a lot of really amazing life experiences. So when we think about why it matters, to me it's not even a comparison um, because of this the significance of bringing life into this world. I mean, that is the ultimate mm-hmm. moment to me when heaven invades earth. Mm-hmm. It's when the supernatural comes through through the way that our Creator created us. I think, you know, as I listen to you say that, I'm reminded – you know, at the end of our lives, if we were being interviewed and someone said, gosh, give us give us examples of the greatest moments of your life, mm. you wouldn't say, oh, that time I had my gallbladder out. That <laughs> really defined me. Yeah. Yet, not uncommonly, I think people would define birth right. uh, that way. Different maybe with multiple births, but they would put that on the list of sort of mm-hmm. life-defining moments, mm-hmm. right? And I think when you are first holding your child in your arms, there is this just beautiful anticipation of what and who will this person become. And I, I think of my, my kids now being older and reflecting back on their birth and just seeing the beauty of their journey play out in front of my eyes and tracing it back to that moment we first met. Mm. And it was in, in that birth room where it all started where I got to, as one of my friends always says, become a student of my child, to study them, to get to know them, to see how God created them. And that, to me, is one of the the biggest privileges and honors of my life as a mom. Mm. And I think it's worth pointing out that while births uh, have medical implications, in and of themselves, a birth is not a medical event. Uh, like a surgery for your gallbladder, if we use that Mm -hmm. analogy. Some births are more medical than others Mm -hmm. based on a variety of things, but at its foundation, at least I would argue, it's it's not a medical event. Um, And that's why I think your experience with it matters more than something that is purely a medical event. Right. It's something that's uniquely human, Mm -hmm. that defines part of who we are, Mm-hmm. that you're going to call on that uh, as you reflect on your life. Right. So how it goes, you might say, mm-hmm. how that experience transpires, it's probably going to be defining one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Maybe even if you don't want it to be defining. Right. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen patients, and I have too, where they they just don't seem to think that their birth is that big a deal. Right. Um, 
what do you think, what's going on in their mind as opposed to the mind of someone that expresses views like you just expressed, that this is mm-hmm. a this is a foundational defining moment? Mm-hmm. I think for someone who maybe doesn't feel like their birth was a big deal, part of me wonders if they're minimizing that experience because there's some embedded trauma, oh. disappointment, maybe even shame. Mm. Um, they had an idea of what it would look like and because of situations that were either outside of their control or medically necessary or even maybe decisions they made or their provider made, it, it took a turn different than their expectations. And so minimize that too. Right. If I minimize it and I act like it didn't matter, then I don't have to actually actually acknowledge how it impacted me. Yeah, I I, I like that. I I tend to when I see patients like that, I tend to think somehow you've convinced yourself that this isn't important. And someday you're going to look back and regret. Mm-hmm. You'll realize that it was more important maybe than you mm-hmm. appreciated in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, it is sad, and it does seem like a missed opportunity. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I hear, and I know you have as well, is the phrase, well, a healthy mom and a healthy baby. Isn't mm-hmm. isn't that really our goal? <laughs> um, and, you know, if anybody is listening that is ever in a position to say that, Please don't ever say that. Yeah. I don't think there's more harmful language you could say to a pregnant woman than, you know, because what you're actually saying when you say that, whether you realize it or not, is all of those other things that you're feeling, they actually don't matter. Mm-hmm. What really matters is that you remain alive and your baby remains alive. Right. So any of those other feelings you're having, they're probably just misplaced. Right. Uh, and what a horrible thing to put into someone's mind. Mm-hmm. But that's really setting the bar pretty low, isn't it? Yes. And I think people mean well. You know, <laughs> they course. want to try to sort of, by setting the bar low, then maybe expectations <laughs> can always be met. But I think, as you said, it minimizes a, a couple's desire or dream for a birth. And it it doesn't take into consideration that they actually do have hopes. They, mm-hmm. they It's something they have been thinking about. And, and I see this a lot for women who have had previous... Um, birth trauma or even loss or any type of um, disappointing experience that they feel like if I just don't express my desires, if I don't communicate what I want in birth, if I just say, as long as I'm healthy and baby's healthy, then I won't be hurt again. So it becomes a self-protective mechanism. Mm. If I act like I don't care, then I won't be disappointed. Yeah, that's interesting. I I know that I've seen that take place in exam room discussions when I'll, I'll ask women, what kind of a vision for your birth do you have? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, you know, I really I really don't have a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking when I hear that, then either you're blocking a vision or you just haven't taken the time to think about what really matters to right. you. Well, I think that's part of the effect. So if I acknowledge that I am not, if I, if I pretend as if I don't care or I don't have a vision, then I don't have to face or confront the, the obstacles that might be internal. And maybe some I'm conscious of and some I'm not conscious of. Mm-hmm. It could be negative things that family members have said. It mm-hmm. could be um, witnessing friends go through difficult mm-hmm. birth situations. If I just don't talk about it, then I don't have to actually deal with it. Mm-hmm. So if we say that we've we've proven, if you will, that birth actually matters, your birth mm-hmm. experience is actually relevant, it's important. Um, and then I think most people would say, well, then I want a good experience. Yeah. If experience matters, then I want a good one. Yes. Um, what then, What what is the difference between a good experience uh, with birth and maybe a less 
than good experience with birth. Now, I happen to know that you've had the gamut of experiences with birth, but mm-hmm. so maybe listeners would do well from listening to you sort of catalog those uh, yeah. and what was great and what was less great about the various experiences. Yes. Well, as you had, you know, in the conversation episode you did with Hallie from Birth Matters, I think birth education and feeling empowered about your choices is so, so important. So I don't think we can define a good birth just merely by the context or the location or the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I think what's happening inside of you, I think the closeness of your relationship and the trust that you have in your team Mm -hmm. is crucial. And for me, walking through four different experiences, my first birth, which was in Pennsylvania when Nate and I were still living outside of Philadelphia, had a healthy pregnancy. I think I read, I don't know, 25 books on natural (laughs) birth. At some point, Nate literally took the pile of books back to the library. He said, Amber, you're done. Like, you're ready. You know everything you need to know. So I had all sorts of hopes and expectations and got to 39 weeks and had some complications. And because of that, had to be induced um, and I'm thankful I made it to 39 weeks, but mm. the induction led to, you know, Pitocin and then ended up getting an epidural. And I think even as I say that, even hearing myself say that, I think sometimes when you have a hope or expectation that's going to look a certain way, there can be this sense of shame or feeling like I failed. Mm. But you know what? Nate and I did what was best for Emma, our daughter, and mm. we trusted our doctor implicitly. And looking back at what had happened, it was absolutely the safest decision that we could have made. And I'm really proud of myself as a first-time mom for being able to work through that, mm. uh, somewhat of averting a crisis, and and at the end of the day, being able to um, find the peace and closure to know that I had done everything I could to prepare, mm-hmm. and I'd also been willing to be flexible and open-minded, and I had trust in my provider. Which is part of good preparation, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Build, building in flexibility to your vision and plans yes. is a good plan. Yes. I like to say you might you might plan a June outdoor wedding in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. That's gutsy. Um, <laughs> and if it rains, you still get married. Mm-hmm. But you you modify your plans. Maybe mm-hmm. you move indoors, but you still get married. Right. But a good plan has some flexibility in it. Yes. So you had to exhibit that with your first. Yes. So to me, that the good part of that was... I stayed connected with my husband. We felt peace. We were we were prayerful about that decision. We trusted our doctor. And also I felt empowered going into my second birth that I really still wanted a natural birth. And that at that point Thankfully, we had moved to Fort Wayne. We heard of this place called Fertility Midwifery Care Center. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> yes. I do have to mention, though, I learned about Dr. Stroud from a friend of mine who had miraculously met him when he was on call on the floor that evening. And she said, an angel of a man came to my rescue in the middle of labor. And so I heard about... So she was clearly delirious in the throes yes, of labor. That she was clearly the- misperceived you. <laughs> um, but I just think experiencing this office and your mm. care and being in a hospital setting, but also having practitioners who really believed in me. And, and you were the first one to speak that over me, to mm. say, God made you for this. Mm. You were created to do this. You can do this. Your body knows what to do. And that helped me to recover from some of that loss, like the disappointment, the shame, the sense of failure. Um, in the first birth. And I think that gave me confidence then to go into my next two births and have these beautiful natural births in the Mm. hospital and to feel also fully empowered in that, even though it was a totally different experience. I think contractions that are natural are much easier than contractions (laughs) on Pitocin, I have to say. Um, And then the fourth birth with Jonathan was at the birth center. Mm. It was this beautiful water birth with Marianne that I 
Nate and I both just felt like that in of itself was was its own holy sacred experience. And even though each of these four experiences were different, I do look at each one as holy and sacred. Mm. And so to me, a good birth means that I'm I'm trusting God, I'm surrendered, I'm communicating my desires, I feel educated and empowered, I'm I'm connected with my spouse, I have trust built with with the team around me. And I think that then leads to a fulfilling experience. It seems like all of those things that you just listed could be summarized as really an absence of fear. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if it was in the hospital with an epidural and needing to be induced or as far away from that as you could get in the birth center in a, yeah. in a tub. In none of those situations was there fear. Right. That fear seems to be the common enemy. <laughs> uh, right. And I would clarify. I don't know if uh, I would say there wasn't any fear. Uh, I would say, what do you do in the face of fear? Mm-hmm. Because I think every woman, we, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a point in birth typically transition if it hasn't happened before that, where you have to face your fear. And I remember being in the tub at the birth center with Jonathan and, you know, he was a very large baby like my my last my last two boys were. And there was this moment where it felt like I really felt like God asked me this question, Amber, you can give into fear right now mm. in spiral. Or you can choose to dig deeper than you ever have before. Trust me and we can bring this baby forth in faith. And that to me is, it's its not about not having fear, it's about how you overcome your fear and how you face it when it's right in front of you. So we wouldn't say the absence of fear makes for a great birth. We would say um, a productive way of addressing the fear, maybe. Yeah. But what a powerful tool fear is mm-hmm. f- for the bad. Mm-hmm. You know, you deal with this professionally all the time, but... What really, what is fear and how can it be so powerful an emotion to really cripple us? Mm-hmm. I think the root of fear is an absence of being in control. Uh. It's, you know, fear is the opposite of faith, <laughs> right? It's this feeling that something that's not in my control is going to consume me and lead to a bad outcome. And so I think by giving into fear, I'm holding on to control, but actually I am being controlled by the fear. Mm. Whereas when I surrender and I trust God, that's, that's, that's putting the power into the hands of our Creator who is much more powerful than, than fear. But to be clear, that, that doesn't mean fear just goes away. It, right. It's not daffodils and unicorns, right? Because fear is a natural... It's a natural feeling, and yeah. it can be protective. Mm-hmm. Uh, can the, the the fight or flight response um, is a fear driven, self protective mm-hmm. reflex. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said, you know, bravery is not the absence of fear. Mm-hmm. It's it's the dealing with fear in a productive way. Right. Which is really what you're saying is that you could choose to give in to the fear, yield, or you could choose to face the fear. Right. And, and deal with it in a, in a in a great way. Right. And that takes faith to do it. It does. And what do you observe, if I could turn <laughs> this back to you, in the birth room from your perspective as a provider, when that moment when fear comes and then a woman gives in to fear? Mm. What what typically happens? Yeah, you can you can feel really, I think, in the room if you're if you're paying attention, sort of a surrender to in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see what might be what some might say is loss of control, 
certainly loss of confidence mm-hmm. and um, and sort of a loss of 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 the moment mm-hmm. you know and sometimes we can get someone back from that by reminding them objectively mm-hmm. all of these things you're fine your baby's fine we're all right here with you you're not alone mm-hmm. that would be fearful mm-hmm. we're not going to let harm come to you so you don't need to fear for your safety um, and then some people can turn around and, and walk away from that. Mm-hmm. But sadly, I think a lot of births, the experience is, I hate to say ruined, but but really diminished mm-hmm. because they did just what you did, but they went the other way. You know, right. they, they were afraid. Um, and, and I don't know the answer, but I would love to be able to sort of bottle up in a pill and give it to people. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think... You and I probably have our ideas about the difference, but you know what is it? Why it, about half of the women, for instance, that give birth at our birth center are first-time moms? Mm-hmm. So I love to say to them, "What is it that makes you think you can do this?" Because you have no experience to call on. You haven't had a baby right. before. Mm-hmm. When you had your first natural birth, you'd had an, an epidural birth before, mm-hmm. so at least you knew that a baby could come out of you. Mm-hmm. But first-time moms are still wondering about that. Yeah. Uh, what is it about half of those moms that deliver there? They were first-time moms, and yet they thought they could do it. Mm-hmm. And I love to ask that question. And you get a variety of answers. It seems to me, though, a common component to all of those women is some sense of, I just knew I was made to do this. Mm-hmm. And if I'm made to do it, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to question because I know that I'm made to do this. Yeah. And that sounds so simple, but I think people that don't come at birth with a firm faith foundation, they don't necessarily appreciate that they were made to do it. Right. Um, and if they don't have a resolute commitment mm-hmm. to one way or the other. Yeah. I think the people who go to the hospital with sort of a loosey-goosey plan of, I might do this, I might not, mm-hmm. part of me wonders, are they really doubting if they can? Yeah. Is that rooted in fear? Yeah. Is their indecision rooted in fear? Yeah. And that maybe clarity needs to come by actually cultivating a belief that you can do this, yeah. that you were made for it. It is possible. Yeah. Typically, when the contractions really begin in labor, you can, you could almost read on a woman's face her expression: mm-hmm. um, is there fear that's a component or not? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my wife in labor. After every contraction, she would say. I'm one step closer to holding my baby. Mm. I can't wait for the next one mm-hmm. because that puts me yet another step closer mm-hmm. to holding my baby. Um, and there's something different between women who approach a contraction that way as opposed to, oh, no, you know, here's a, here's another one. Yeah. Well, just think um, about the, the, the difference physiologically. I mean, I'm sure you see this all the time when w- women are, you know, squeezing their face and bracing <laughs> themselves yeah. rather than I, I always looked at it as a wave coming, a wave coming through my body and God using that to allow my body to open to bring the baby forth. Yeah. So it was a positive reframe of mm. each contraction, not as something negative to resist. Mm. And, and, you know, to be to be clear, it's easy for us to talk about a fear and, and unmedicated birth. Um, and you might think, well, I know I'm going to have an epidural, so none of this applies to me. And caution if that's how you feel because mm-hmm. it's just not true because even if you have an epidural and that addresses one component mm-hmm. uh, of the birth there's so many many more yeah um you know i've i've had patients 
who have maybe a planned or an unplanned cesarean section Mm -hmm. that have a wonderful birth experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've had those who who have natural birth who have a a terrible experience. So Mm -hmm. it isn't about whether it's medicated or not medicated or cesarean versus vaginal. Mm -hmm. I think it's really about this fear topic that Mm -hmm. we're we're describing. You know, what are the common elements that you see in women who have not had a great birth experience. Mm-hmm. What what do you hear time and again in your role as counselor? Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of when I think of preparing a woman for birth mentally, outside of of course the childbirth education, that's a given. But I'm talking about mental endurance. You know, I think about my life and some of the adversity I've been through and all the things I've had to do to learn how to be mentally strong. Mm-hmm. I think some people just haven't stretched that muscle very much. (laughs) And so we live in a society that we want to escape pain. Mm. We look at pain as negative. Pain is something to be suppressed or resisted. Mm. But but pain can actually be the greatest opportunity for growth. You know, pain can be the opportunity where we persevere and we experience God's strength in a deeper way than we ever have before. And emerge stronger on the other side. Mm -hmm. Not unlike an athlete training a muscle. Right. The muscle hurts when it's strained, but then it grows. It repairs itself, and it's stronger Mm -hmm. on the other side of the Mm -hmm. exercise. Yes, and so I think that the relationship with pain, the the a woman's ability to be mentally strong, I think also just in general how much she's able to communicate her desires and needs, how the, the state of the marriage and the relationship, and how they're working as a team. I think sometimes I see women who deal with a lot of disappointment after a birth, but then I we process it, and there were moments where she could have spoken up. There were mm-hmm. moments where she could have been more clear. Or maybe she just didn't have a team around her um, who she felt safe and comfortable with. Uh, maybe there was someone in the room that she said could come in, but it wasn't a safe person for her. Oh. And so there's, there's sometimes a sense of regret of not being proactive about those things, but actually being more reactive, and then there's the after effects of it that they have to work through. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I, when I hear you say that, I, I can think of examples where I've talked to patients afterwards. Um, and I've also walked into a room where there was sort of a, you know, I would call it a negative Nancy effect, where there was one person in the room that just seemed to be sort of sucking the positivity out of the room. Mm-hmm. And you could almost see the connection to the woman's contractions, mm-hmm. that it was really destroying labor. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes that's a role of a good doula, is to get that person away mm-hmm. and out of the room. And then you can see labor go better. Yeah. Because it wasn't a safe person. It wasn't somebody that empowered you know, the family. Um, and they mm-hmm. regret having had that person there. Right. Maybe from poor planning. Mm-hmm. you know, in advance or the wrong goals or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it certainly can make a difference. Yeah, or people-pleasing, especially oh, sure. when it comes to family. Yeah. I think I see that pressure that women feel as as women are processing with me, who do I want in the birth room? And, <laughs> and they're listing the people, and I can see it in their eyes. And I can say, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> they don't need me to tell them. They right. need to be validated that it's okay that mm-hmm. not everyone be welcome in your birth room. Yeah, I think the two people present at conception definitely should be there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Those people. And anybody after that, they should be 100 plus percent about you. Yeah. And not about them, mm-hmm. but about you. Which means at, at the snap of a finger, they're willing to leave the room. Right. Because after all, they're there for you. Um, but that can be a positive or a negative influence. It's important. Right. And they don't take it personally. The yeah. people who are really for you know that whatever is best for you, they're willing to accommodate that. 
Yeah, if I had to list, you know, positive threads of positive birth experiences, uh, I would definitely say surrounded by an empowering team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't mean a large team. It mm-hmm. could be large. You know, we've had people bring their entire families to births, which is beautiful if that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but the common thread is that it would be empowering. Yes. It, it lifts the woman and her husband up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't require attention. They, meaning the team members, right. they're there to just give attention and not take anything. Right. Um, and I, I think what's so unique about this office at Fertility and Midwifery Care Center is that it is inherently in your value system that all of your team and all of your providers represent that. I remember reading the uh, Hospital Natural Birth book, oh, and I was Abraham. all mentally prepared to advocate for myself <laughs> and to speak up and to push back. But here you don't have to do that. Hopefully not. And I think when you have a team who who values the same values that you do and who there's an inherent trust with, there's not that mental Olympics that you have to play to advocate for yourself. And then if you don't have that, I think having a doula is key. And my, we had a doula with my first natural birth and that was what Nate and I needed for confidence going into our next two to do on our own. Just having that person there to say, you've got this Mm -hmm. and to give us guidance and wisdom. Yeah. Team has got to be on the list of, uh, of common success elements and then i would say more corrected not absence of fear but the tools to address the fear mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's where um, professional childbirth education comes in mm-hmm. yeah, because fear really is the enemy of a great birth experience cesarean vaginal medicated unmedicated fear just that's you know if if the devil just needs a crack Fear's a great crevasse, mm-hmm. you know, that just begs him to come in and mm-hmm. get in the middle of that experience. Right. And I think the best anecdote to that is knowledge. Right. And just understanding the physiology of birth, what's happening, why it's happening, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. That you know, you're you're not just existing at the whims of some you know random generator of pain. Yeah. You know, you're on a path. And if you understand that path and where it's going, where it's leading and why, I think that can dramatically reduce fear. Right. So from your perspective, what you observe in the birth room, what's the connection between a woman's emotional state? For example, if she's peaceful mm-hmm. and allowing her body to open and the cervix to dilate versus if she's fearful and in, in, in resisting? You know, at night and day, and, and you, you pretty much just summed up the two extremes, mm-hmm. but you can keep your baby in. <laughs> in labor Mm -hmm. you know we laughingly call them anti-pushers sometimes (laughs) you know when it comes time to push is when um fear can really it can really get a hold of someone Mm -hmm. and they can intellectualize yes i need to push i feel the contraction i feel the urge to push but they're afraid to push Mm -hmm. and so they think they're pushing and in reality they're not they're not relaxing their pelvic floor they're not letting the baby descend and come out. They're really being anti-physiologic, you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it takes a change of position. Sometimes it takes an epidural. Sometimes it takes some really good coaching. Mm-hmm. But to be able in that moment to literally let go yeah. and let the baby come, 
Um, fear is the enemy of that process. Right. Um, and if ever you think the mind and the body aren't connected, that's a great place to, to see how they are. Right. Um, it's, it's remarkable. There are even animal studies where you can have an animal laboring and you can startle them and turn on bright lights and their labor stops. Wow. And they'll get up and move to a safe, quiet place and their labor begins again. Hmm. So the mind and the body are of one at no other time greater than they are in labor. Right. And I think that's what's what's so powerful because you have that physiological reaction from from what I have experienced. Specifically, I'm thinking of Marianne at my last birth at the birth center. <laughs> you know, she I, I came in, you know, I'm all excited, I'm prepared, I'm ready, but I, you know, I had some almost nervous excitement and tension <laughs> in my shoulders and she does what Marianne does and got me to, you know, breathe more deeply and to slow down. But she really she used some language during this last birth that helped me recognize at the birth center, you know, looking at all these tools of distraction almost like the least invasive to the, I knew I wanted to end up in the tub. And so, you know, she very thoughtfully and strategically used the different things in the room to distract me from any potential fear. And I think when your mind is focused, and then when you have these tools of distraction, whether it's getting in the shower, Mm -hmm. whether it's getting on the ball, whether it's laying down and resting for a little bit. And for me, I knew I wanted a water birth and I wanted to end up in the tub. That helped the mental Olympics that happens mm-hmm. when you're coming against fear. Because when you know, in essence, okay, I can I can use this modality for so long until I get to the point, the next threshold, and now I need another level of support or I need a change. And I think when you depend on your team and they know you well, they know when that change is necessary. They can see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that That's exactly how you would like it to go mm-hmm. all of the time. That, mm-hmm. that really is beautiful. Mm-hmm. What other things come to your mind when you think of the birth that a couple reflects on afterwards says that was very fulfilling? Um, well, I think part of the answer is in a word you used, couple. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in, in many ways, um, I, I'm certainly no theologian, but the greatest births that I remember are sort of Trinitarian. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there's a man and there's a woman, and they love each other so much that a third entity is produced by this love. Mm-hmm. That's hard to escape the beauty of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you see that happening, um, the the greatest births that I can recall, you can see that they see that that's happening. Mm-hmm. There's something between husband and wife that you can you can see as an outside party. They actually recognize the gravity and the miraculous nature of what's taking place Mm -hmm. and it's exciting Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not fearful it's exciting Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that I'd I'd love to have the honor of seeing in great births is what you might call a kind of a a mutual codependency Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know you'll Mm -hmm. see in a man's face um, a sense of wonder and Mm -hmm. amazement at what his wife is doing Mm -hmm. um shocked to a degree but in a positive (laughs) sort of way and that you know i I always my words not theirs but you know i always thought you were pretty neat but this is over the top right (laughs) right um and you you can see that in their face and at the same time um it's common to see i think in the woman's face um looking at her husband i would be so afraid if you weren't here you know looking looking for strength looking for support looking Mm -hmm. for that 
that um, that validation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a perfect codependency between man and woman, isn't it? Yes. Uh, we're bo- in that in that moment, they're both offering what they have to offer. Mm-hmm. Her ability to birth, his ability to be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just beautiful when you see that. Yes. And then, and I think, kind of continuing from that, um, this overall appreciation after the baby's born of sort of the sanctity of that moment mm-hmm. uh, and looking at the moment, not just the child, but at the entire moment with a sense of wonderment and awe mm-hmm. that we actually just created this human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's here and it's breathing air and isn't that amazing? Yes, yes. And that sense of even mutual accomplishment, of course the woman is laboring, yeah. but I believe you know Nate played such a significant role, even sometimes in his quiet presence and strength, mm-hmm. he was steady in the room. If I started to feel fear, I could look at him mm-hmm. and he's okay, I'm okay. Yeah. And I think I want to speak to that just for a minute about husbands and uh-huh. their role and, and maybe potential fear that a husband in the room might have. You know, what do you see as do you do, do you see an effect when a husband starts to go into fear and how that affects the wife? It does. Espe- now, depending on the nature of their relationship, maybe before labor, yeah. but I think in general, um, you know, that's that's part of our design as men. Mm-hmm. You know, we're designed to kill the bear, uh, to to attack any threats, mm-hmm. and fear is a great threat. And so, you know, I like to tell husbands. There's going to come a moment in the labor where your wife either literally or figuratively says to you, this is horrible. I don't know what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. You know, I might die. This Mm -hmm. is terrible. And when she looks at you with that look, husbands, you don't want to reflect that look back to her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's not the time. Right. You know, she wants to see in your face, you've got this. You're Mm -hmm. fine. Uh, and I'm here with you, and I'm going to protect you. You're safe, and you're fine, and we're going to emerge on the other side of this as parents of a child. Right. And when that happens, I think you can actually see her anxiety go away. Right. Um, but it's truly an opportunity for greatness, men, uh, for those mm-hmm. of you listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in modern society, we don't necessarily have all those moments for greatness to go kill <laughs> the bear. But this is one of those times when you actually can step up and be a man that that's going to be transformative in this moment mm-hmm. and that your wife is going to talk about for generations to come. Right. Uh, so why not accept that challenge and and thrive mm-hmm. with that opportunity? Because you can. And it's actually not that hard, it turns right. out. Right. And a lot of that support can even just be nonverbal. It can be the and way you, said you carry your husband's yourself. said your husband's quiet. Yeah. Making eye contact that's reassuring. Yeah. I will never forget that when when we had my third baby, Deacon, Lindsay was um, helping us in that delivery, and Nate had communicated ahead of time that he really wanted to deliver Deacon and pull him out. <laughs> and I, I didn't know this till afterwards because, you know, my eyes were closed, I was in the zone. But Nate had a moment of fear where he sort of felt like, do I belong here? What do I do? And and Lindsay just looked at him and just said, it's it's time and just gently guided him and and he still to this day says that's one of his most favorite moments of his life because Lindsay gave him the confidence Mm. to do that and he overcame his own fear in that moment that's really beautiful yeah yeah it's probably important for us to point out that great births can have so many different um, appearances you might Mm -hmm. say Um, we've described a few but 
as I mentioned, planned cesarean section or unplanned cesarean mm-hmm. section can be just as beautiful and just as great. Mm-hmm. Um, we just happen to be talking about a couple of natural births, but mm-hmm. I've certainly had those same experiences at cesarean section uh, because we have the same fears, maybe even more and different fears mm-hmm. uh, at a C-section. Um, but the opportunities are still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we men are just as important in those, maybe maybe even more important in those those moments when the fear is at its greatest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, being connected to your spouse, feeling like your team is for you, and making an informed, empowered decision mm-hmm. is what leads to a peaceful birth. Yeah. Now, you remind me, I feel like we should probably call out... Um, we know the reality is not every birth, not every pregnancy happens within the context of this beautiful, angelic, sacramental marriage. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't. Um, at the same time, I would say some of the most beautiful births we've witnessed at our birth center have been with single moms. Mm. Um, maybe where the father of the baby was not even uninvolved, but not even physically present. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been surrounded by an empowering team that generates trust and confidence in her. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen to include this sort of um, desirable model that we're describing. Mm-hmm. And the births are just as beautiful and just as empowering. Mm-hmm. So don't think for a moment that if you don't fit within that model that that we've been describing, that uh, that you can't have a terrific birth, because you can. Right. Um, and how would you help someone who is deciding the best place to birth a baby, knowing that you know you see the full range of <laughs> options and locations. How does one make that decision? Yeah, I, I think it, you know it's a complicated one that needs to be made slowly, um, and I, I think you'll make a better decision if you can make it within the context of some good, informed professional advice. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you know early in the pregnancy that. Uh, an unmedicated birth does not appeal to you. Call that out for what it is. Tell mm-hmm. us early on, mm-hmm. and then well, that will make it easy. So then, a birth center is not an option, or a mm-hmm. home birth is not an option for you. So you're going to have a hospital birth. Okay. Now, given that you're going to have a hospital birth, how do we get you the best experience you can at mm-hmm. the hospital? Maybe you know you're going to have an epidural at the hospital. All right. How do we get you the best experience there so that you feel empowered? with good, transparent decision-making surrounded by people that mm-hmm. love you and, and want the best for you. But we have to know those things, and so you're going to have to spend some time and energy thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, Cynthia Gabriel's book, uh, Hospital Natural Birth. Mm-hmm. It's presuming that you want a natural birth in the hospital, mm-hmm. but her book, it's available on Amazon or any bookseller, it's terrific because it doesn't really just apply to natural versus medicated births. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really about the process of deciding what it is that you want. Right. Um, so investing time and, you know, you don't have to read 20 books like you did, but <laughs> you can, <laughs> if you know you're going to have a hospital birth, I think her book is a terrific one uh, for a hospital birth. Yes. I also love the book Birth Without Fear. Yeah. That one was really helpful. And I think Marianne said this actually this morning as we were talking, just surrounding yourself with positive birth stories. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a friend who's birthing and you don't know anything about birth, I think just being around birth and having 
exposure to these stories that can be encouraging help overcome some fear too? Yeah, you know, well-meaning but misguided friends can say the worst things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you'll say, oh, I'm pregnant. And they'll say, oh, that's great. You know, a friend of mine was pregnant and she died. You think, why would you share that Mm -hmm. with someone at their most vulnerable? So I think you have to be equipped to sort of block those negative stories out and surround yourself with with great ones. Um, One of my favorite tools that that I see couples do uh, in labor is surround themselves with images of things that they find positive and they Mm -hmm. find empowering. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's uh, Bible verses uh, Mm -hmm. distributed throughout the room. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a certain kind of music Mm -hmm. that takes you to a place that you feel good about. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's photographs um, of a distant relative that you miss and you respect and that Mm -hmm. you feel like is there and and you want to be reminded of that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what what it is, but it's about anticipating the need and Mm -hmm. having the tools to sort of build yourself up like that. Right. And it's not just the practical tools, right? Something like childbirth education is going to give you the practical piece. I think from my vantage point, it's also having emotional regulation skills. (laughs) So the the counseling tools. And then for me personally, I view birth as extremely spiritual Mm. and, and the you know, ultimate place where I feel so connected to God because I've been utterly dependent on Him. And so I also have a free resource on holy birth. Uh-huh. If you're interested in feeling empowered about the spiritual side of birth and in and, and staying connected to God through that experience, um, you can go to ambertod.org slash birth and you can download that free resource. And tell a little bit about what that resource entails. Yes. So you'll be able to just get a guidebook on how to walk through the birth experience and really cultivate your faith and and use tools like prayer Mm. um, to have these moments. And and I call them, you know, these holy moments where we stay connected to God when we face fear. Because every birth, when I faced fear, it was the the moments that I was trusting God so deeply that helped me overcome that. And so the childbirth education empowered me and I, I knew the you know anatomically what to expect I knew what was happening in my body but then there was this deeper layer of my spiritual life that that just made the experience feel that much more peaceful Wow so I'm gonna hit you with a surprise uh, question <laughs> um, think of your movie going experience mm-hmm. can you think of a positive birth image in a movie no, I can think of a dozen of women screaming yeah. and sweating. Right. That's usually how it's portrayed, particularly yeah. in television. But I would say it's usually an out of control, not emotionally regulated mm-hmm. woman who's clearly fearful and wrought with fear. Mm-hmm. And if there's a man involved, they're usually made to look like a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a good image at all. From a sort of Hollywood perspective, and I think sadly, what happens is people walk around with that movie in their head, mm-hmm. you know, playing. Um, I would say one exception, which is pretty interesting, it's an old movie. It's called Nativity, hmm. and it's an HBO movie, which I find shocking for a variety <laughs> of other reasons. Um, but it's actually Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist, hmm. and uh, it's 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 a little noisy, but it's very authentic. And it's beautiful, and she actually gives birth from a sort of a standing position, hmm. holding onto a rope with knots in it, um, wow. which uh, we use that tool in the form of, of a scarf, 
you know, hanging from a hook in the ceiling sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, you can see the, the, the discomfort on her face, but mm-hmm. you can also see, you know, now she didn't know she was giving birth to John the Baptist, I presume. Maybe she did. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can tell that she feels empowered. Right. And and ready, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually it's I, I highly recommend it. Nativity, uh, and you can fast forward to the uh, to the John the Baptist birth scene. But that's the kind of vision that people should walk around with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'll shamelessly plug the birth center's website, fortwaynebirthcenter dot com. Um, a, a common friend of ours, Abigail Edmonds, uh, donated uh, a, an excerpt from her first water birth mm-hmm. uh, at the birth center, and. We show it at our birth center seminar for a lot of these same reasons. Mm -hmm. The look on her face and the look on her husband's face are so in themselves educational Mm -hmm. because it's an absence of fear. Mm -hmm. Or if there is fear, they're facing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that would be a much better movie to play in your mind Mm -hmm. when you think pregnancy than the ones you and I are thinking of from Hollywood. Right. It is so important that we surround ourselves with encouragement, positive stories. And that means I really did set a lot of boundaries when I was pregnant that I didn't want to be exposed to all of the negative, scary, you know, fear-based stories. And if someone started telling me one, I would politely stop them and say, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I, I'm I'm staying focused on what my heart and desire is for this birth. That and, sounds like a good tool, that ability to stop yeah. that conversation. You have permission to ask someone to not share with you things that are going to cause fear. So we've done a lot of work in in this episode. So we've said birth experience actually matters. Mm -hmm. It does matter. And I think we've done a good job for answering the question, why does it matter? Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a defining moment of your life. And then I hope that we've given some information on some common things that that seem to play a part in great birth experiences, regardless of the venue or of the social circumstances, but uh, some common things. So as mm-hmm. you think about matters of birth, any last thoughts you want to leave listeners with on this great topic? I will emphatically say that I love birth. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things to talk about. And We're not doing video now, but if listeners can see your face, they would say, I think she does. I do. <laughs> and, and I... And, and genuinely want to say that if you're listening to this and you're currently pregnant or maybe you, you desire to be pregnant but you're feeling fearful of birth, I just want you to know that we believe in you. Uh-huh. You were created for this, that you have everything you need inside of you. And there are people who also believe that and want to come alongside you in this journey, especially at this office and in our community. So know that you have people who will support you every step of the way and that a birth that is peaceful is absolutely possible. Well, there's no way I could add anything to that terrific summary. So I won't even try. So, But Amber, thank you once again for sharing uh, your vast wisdom on matters of birth. Thank you for having me. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I, I hope you'll share the information with your friends and family. If you have a certain topic that you'd like me to address, drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you. The best way to reach me is by email using drstroud at fertilityandmidwifery.com. That's D-R-S-T-R-O-U-D at fertilityandmidwifery.com. Thanks again for joining me. You've been listening to All Things Women's Health. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. Oh,